Radio Aspiral is a series of podcasts brought to you across the internet by TIPM Media. Presented by investigative journalist Mick Rooney, it covers a host of topics from international media, publishing, aviation, and technology. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. Can you believe it? Episode 3 of Radio Aspiral. I'm glad you could join us. Let's take it away. internet broadcast and audio within audio and video our focus is on media and how it deals with news our core areas will be publishing aviation technology and all things considered when it becomes a significant aspect of media coverage Most of our episodes will be joined by a great guest today. I'll tell you more in a second. Radio Aspire. We explore and discover together. I'm glad you could join us for our third episode on Radio Espoil. Um, I think you're going to look forward and like our guest today. He 
for me very much touches on an awful lot of areas where a lot of the following programs will be going um we're going to talk about uh publishing media technology and politics today uh, in particular we're going to touch on self-publishing now i maybe some of our our listeners joining us uh, over the last few episodes uh, don't know that i'm the editor-in-chief of the independent publishing magazine.com uh, and it's that's that's an area a website where we talk an awful lot about publishing and self-publishing and i'm delighted to say that mark levine will be joining us as a guest and the great thing about mark is that he he's intriguing and he he very much has an interest like me in a lot of these areas and we're going to be talking um about all those subjects today but most importantly let me just give a little bit of it, an intro into mark and, and who mark levine is uh mark loves uh domain names and first started investing in them in the early 2000s. Uh, domaining involves following trends, pop culture, technology, and then kind of mixing all of them uh, with investment strategies similar to those used in the stock market or real estate area. Uh, you get to own cool digital assets uh, that you can uh, develop, uh, sell, or just hold and sell on when you want to. Uh, he deve- he founded Domain Theory in 2010, uh, a domain investment uh, company uh, which also offers consultancy services. Until August 2016, domaining was something he pursued really after work uh, and on, on weekends. From 20, uh, 2006 to 2016, he was the CEO and founder of um, Hillcrest Media Group, a book publishing company he started following the success of a book he wrote about the self-publishing industry in 2004. That book, The Fine Print of Self-Publishing, became a bestseller and really I consider it a seminal work for authors entering the self-publishing arena. Uh, And it eventually led to another five editions, uh, a publishing company with 30 employees uh, that helped hundreds of authors published more than 11,000 titles. In August 2016, Mark sold Hillcrest to Salem Media Group. The decision to sell was uh, a difficult one, I know, for him. Uh, We've talked about it personally, uh, privately. Uh, He cherished working with all those staff. Uh, He considered them the best inventive team ever. They were driven, dedicated employees. Any business owner could ever hope to have. Hillcrest Media and its staff created some cutting-edge publishing technology that helped them compete against companies really hundreds of times bigger. Uh, Prior to Hillcrest, uh, Mark was the CEO and founder of Click Industries, which was an online business uh, fulfilling services for companies Uh, he sold click industries but uh, this was really where he really learned about uh, domain investing and how to use domains to drive customers to his business mark's the son of a politician we'll get a little bit into that in the interview Uh, he was born in saint paul 
Minneapolis, Minnesota. So let's go and talk to Mark. Okay, welcome back to Radio Espoil. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Mark Levine. Uh, you've heard a little bit about him. Um, Mark, you're very welcome to the program. Oh, it's, I, I mean, great to be here. I've been looking forward to doing this for a long time. Yeah, eh? and, and in a funny way, so have I. <laughs> um, we, we've known each other for a few years. We've met in real life. We, we talk an awful lot uh, online. Uh, Mark, as I say, I've done a little bit of the preamble about you and what you're at and some of the things you've done. What I'd like to do is talk a little bit about um, some of your early upbringing because I know we will talk about politics later on. We'll talk a lot about uh, publishing and media. But tell me a little bit about, because I know politics was an important part of your early upbringing. Your, your dad was involved uh, in politics. Yeah, so my, my father was very involved. Uh, he was in elected office for 12 years, and then he was on uh, our governor's cabinet in Minnesota, where he ran the two largest departments in the state for another eight years. So really, you know, most of my, all, I mean, all of my growing up that I can certainly remember, uh, we lived a political life. My father was in elected office, and, you know, we were in parades and in uh, the media, and uh, he, my dad was very close with Hubert Humphrey uh, when he was vice president. And then uh, later when he was going to run for president, at the time, my father was a very young guy, you know, in his early 30s. And, you know, this story, I'd say, is, is kind of illustrative of this life of growing up in politics, where this kind of stuff did not seem weird to me at all. But there was a day, and I remember it very vividly, we were all supposed to go to the state fair, my entire family. And my father said, hey, we're not going to the fair, but we're going to go spend the weekend at Hubert Humphrey's house in Waverly. And Waverly is about an hour outside of the Twin Cities, and it's where Humphrey, had he become president, that would have been his summer White House. So we get, we go up there, you know, we drive up there where all the kids are mad because we wanted to go to the state fair. You know, we had no interest in going, you know, going to the guy's house. And so we went there and I mean, it was an, you know, a huge estate on a lake and there were, you know, golf carts that we drove around and, uh, you know, Hubert Humphrey, again, he was very close with my father. So he you know, insisted that we call him uncle Hubert and we, went out into the local diner in town and ate hamburgers. And, you know, he, he was a, a wonderful guy. And then later that night, we all were in his living room watching the Miss Universe pageant. And at the time, I was probably 10. We were watching the Miss Universe pageant with George McGovern and his wife. And, you know, as you know, McGovern was the uh, Democratic nominee in, I think, 1972 for president. And, you know, as a 10-year-old kid, this is just us at some random person's house watching the Miss Universe contest. But I often think of to my father, who was in his early 30s at the time, what a momentous, you know, what an unbelievable thing it is. You know, you're a kid from a poor upbringing, and you're socializing in private with one presidential candidate and the former vice president of the United States. And so I had a lot of those experiences growing up that, you know, nobody else had. And, of course, having an appreciation for them comes much 
after having them. But I certainly wouldn't have traded how I grew up. It was very interesting. We knew very interesting people. Uh, we talked a lot about politics at our dinner table. Uh, you know, all of us kids, we were very active in my father's campaigns. You know, we, you know, we, we, we lived it and it was, you know, we're talking 30 some years ago. So it's, it was a much different time in American politics, even at a local and state level than it today. Um, so it's hard to look at it like that. And it was on a much smaller level than, you know, some of these, you know, the kids of, you know, various officials today, but I do have a lot of sympathy for, you know, people who are in this stuff, not by choice in the goldfish bowl. Yes. But I, it just made me love politics and I have always loved it. And, you know, as, as you know, I spend a lot of time <laughs> discussing it, fighting with people, you know, whatever. But it's all it's all really in in good fun. Um, you know, I, I do when I, it can be and not always. No, yes, it's not always. But, you know, I have a few conservative friends that, you know, you see on there. And uh, one of them is a, a very good friend in, in real life. And most people are very surprised by that. And. <coughs> I do think it's important, uh, especially now in America, that you can't just live in your own bubble, that mm -hmm. you really need to have friends that have different points of view. And so I, I make that a point to do. And, you know, I think it's important. But yes, I'm a, I'm a politically, uh, I, you know, and I'm not so much involved as I am. You know, I, I'm starting to go to local campaign things. I was a delegate to a city convention here for a city race. And so I'm I'm spending some time doing this kind of stuff. But it's, you know, I care about what happens and I care about the city and state. Of course, and we all do, yeah. Just, just on you made reference here that just your dad, Len, just, just tell us just a little bit about Len. Uh, well, he had a very interesting career himself. Um, he was uh, at one time one of the fastest uh, runners in the 100-yard dash in the country, uh, got very close to making the Olympics, uh, became a school teacher and a coach, and one day was convinced, hang on, I just went dark. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what is happening here, man. This is okay. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. This is that, this... that's but that's good. That's a force for a radio smile. <laughs> <laughs> well, may, uh, may, maybe the Russians are listening in. <laughs> I mean, and we're I... on to the power grid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they're listening, they'd probably rather be reading my domain name. <laughs> uh, uh, so anyway, my, my father ended up, he was a high school teacher and some people convinced him he should run for elected office and he ran and, uh, you know, he was a really a model of what a public servant should be. He cared about people. He, while he was a, a Democrat, you know, he was really, uh, as nonpartisan as you could be in that kind of a, a role, um, and he was in, so he was on our city council for in St. Paul for 12 years, and most of those were he was unopposed. And then uh, when 
1982, we got a new governor here, and uh, he appointed my father to run the human services department in our state. So that covered, you know, welfare, nursing homes, all those kind of things. And then my father's real passion was transportation. And in the second term, he ended up becoming the head of the Department of Transportation in Minnesota. And that's and then the governor was defeated after a second term. And then my father uh, left uh, being involved in government and has since become a consultant to people who have businesses, products, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that they're trying to work with and get in government. And and he does this all over the world. He's you know, 78 years old and flies to Seattle for a day, flies He's home. Still going. I mean, travels like if I had a travel schedule like that, I'd take me two weeks to recover from one of the trips. And of course, but, he, he wrote his own memoir book on his, yeah. his life, his political life. Yeah, and you know, it's actually it was a it was a good book. Uh, I mean, interesting. Just even if you weren't, if you did not know him, mm-hmm. uh, and he's an interesting he's an interesting study in self publishing because I told him many times, you know, he was like, "Well, I've written it. I'll just you know, I think I can just put it together." You know, I've written these different stories, and you know, I said, "Dad, you know, you can't. It's it'll just look like a garbled thing of words." Mm-hmm. So he ended up hiring a, an editor, someone who actually we worked, worked with at, at Hillcrest. Um, and then when we went through the cover process, you know, like many authors, the picture he saw for the cover of the book was really not the, the best picture. And, you know, we, we had some of those discussions that I've had with hundreds and hundreds of authors before. And his book ended up... Uh, you know, really being one of the nice, one of the nicest book covers that, that we've ever done. It was really cool, and uh, it was really well received. And you know, he did a great job at marketing his book. Uh, had a very big uh, kickoff party for the book. You know, I am gonna, I bet he sold 400 books. You know, at this party, it was sort of like back when he was running for office. It was that kind of a party. And you know, he's had a great career and he's certainly a guy that I emulate or try to emulate. I suppose that reflects then back on you and at that time in in you know after school and college where did you see yourself going you know we'll obviously talk about where where you ultimately did but at, at that sort of young age what was it that you felt you wanted to do? You know, we, we all want to be, you know, um, engineers, uh, whether it's plumbers, builders, or lawyers, or doctors. What was in your head at that stage? Okay, well, that's interesting. What I really wanted to do, and I, I did not, but what I, because I didn't know how you could ever make money doing it, was I wanted to get a PhD in political science, mm-hmm. and I was really interested in voting behavior. Which of course is now That's the most, you know, the, the thing the, that one most of the biggest makes money. Yes, but at the time, um, I like I had written a, my college thesis for political science was uh, I graduated in '89, but in '88, Pat Robertson, the TV evangelist, ran for mm-hmm. president on the Republican side. 
And I wrote, you know, again, it was a little harder to research back then, but I wrote my thesis was on how, because that, that, that was a voting block that was democratic at one time. You know, the South was democratic yeah. at one time, and, and Pat Robertson really started leading the shift over. So that's what my thesis was about. You know, today that's a non-topic. I mean, it's a it's an accepted fact. But you know, at that point, so I was really interested in that. And I guess you know, had I could have done anything, I would. I wanted to make political TV commercials. But I, I didn't. You know, I, I didn't even really know where to start. And and I and I always liked business. I liked creating things. I liked. I had a lot of ideas. So I started creating some different businesses and, you know, I had a clothing line with a guy who played in the NBA for a while. I had another clothing thing that we did at the Mall of America. Um, I worked uh, with a couple of very big wrestlers from the WWF and we had a company where we sold merchandise. They were still very big overseas at the time. And so we sold all their a bunch of their merchandise overseas. And, you know, I learned a lot of things about business and, uh, a lot of lessons I took with me going forward. You know, none of those businesses did great, but I learned a lot of things. Um, and then, you know, sort of on a fluke, I started this company, Click Industries, mm -hmm. where we these business filings. And, you know, again, this was in the late 90s, so... Which at the time for businesses starting up, getting online, just getting themselves going, yes. understanding things like tax payment you know that the whole multitude of things you know this wasn't an easy thing to do at that time no it was it was difficult i mean today and in the things we did you know we did a like a business incorporation or a copyright filing you know things that were just forms mm -hmm. and just filling out information all we were doing was making it easier for those people to do it you know at the time no states had no states were online for any of this stuff. The U.S. Copyright Office was not online, um, and you know we didn't know anything. You know we didn't even know how you got people to come to a website. And it was all trial and error, and we spent a lot of time flailing around. And then you know I learned about I heard about this thing, search engine optimization, and, and I started researching it and kind of understanding it. And it was a seminal moment in the in the uh, history of Click Industries because we were like at the end of the line, and I was about I was kind of running out of money, and I had made a deal with a guy to invest fifty thousand dollars in exchange for a third of my company, which you know I'm because I could pay a web developer, but I convinced the web developer to optimize the website as I had learned about. And within two weeks, and again, this is in 1999, mm -hmm. so you know, SE, no one even is thinking about SEL. You know, that's a that's a far out concept. So within a couple of weeks, you know, we're ranking high for every important term in that kind of business, and the business, you know, ex I mean, exploded where it went from barely surviving to where we could barely keep up. And one of the things that we did in that business was these copyright filings. And, you know, you couldn't charge a lot for them, you know. The, the, and so I wanted to find a way to sell something additional. And 
I was also at the same time reaching out to some of the then companies that were involved in self-publishing and really weirdly back then there were a lot of companies that did ebook publishing mm-hmm. in an early version of ebooks and I started reaching out to them probably to in say, PDF format yes they were all yes they were all PDF yeah. reaching out to them to say hey you know why don't you partner with us we'll do the copyright filings for your people and you know and so in doing that I started to read about all these self-publishing companies and I just sort of thought, well, you know, I'm, all these authors are using my service to do this. What if I just wrote a book? I compiled some of the stuff that I've just gathered about these self-publishing companies. And uh, we'll just, I'll just put it up as a PDF. I didn't know how you printed or published a book. I said, but I, you know, I could make a PDF and I'll put it up as a PDF. And, you know, maybe I'll put up a website for it and... Some people, you know, and I'll add it as an add-on to this service, and we'll see what happens. And that takes us to the fine print of self-publishing, first edition, 2004, I think it was. Yeah, 2004. And, you know, the book came out, or not even a book. You know, to call a book is a disservice to books. It (laughs) It was a PDF. And the PDF came out, and I had a website that I built for it. Again, I optimized it, and so I... Every company that I could find on the internet, I basically wrote a page about them, but it was the same page. I just had, you know, Infinity Publishing instead of Author House. Mm-hmm. That's back when you could do that and it didn't matter and the pages ranked. You know, there was no duplicate content, wasn't a thing. So, and I was selling hundreds and hundreds of these a month. But again, you know, I thought who's, you know, there's a couple hundred people out there in the middle of nowhere buying this book. And I one day, get a call and I had like two or three employees at the time. And my, this person who works for me says, uh, the president of infinity publishing is on the phone. Oh dear. I was like, Oh, well that's, you know, it's probably not going to be good. I did, you know, and at the time I covered like seven, I had like 75 publishers that I'd written about. So I had to go back and see what I reviewed. And but by the way, that noise there was the uh, former CEO of Infinity Publishing just calling me. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Sorry, go on. So, you know, he and he was very, he was very nice and said, hey, you know, this your book is killing my business. You know, we're a good company. We do this. We do this. And he said, so I would like to fly you out and you can see for yourself. So when you do another edition, so then, you know, I get on a plane, I go out to Philadelphia. They treat me like I was, uh, like I was the most important person that had ever stepped foot into that office. So I get back from that trip and, you know, I kind of think, well, maybe this is going to be a thing. You know, maybe there is really a market for this. Maybe there's a real place for this. And another couple of weeks go by. And I get a call from this company called Book Pros, and I, they may even be before your time in self-publishing. They're now out of business, but they were, they were sort of like what what Mill City became. They were kind of an upper end. They they had bigger distribution. They had uh, in-house PR. You know, they did all these things. And so they said, "How come we're not in your book?" And I said, "Well, you're not in there because if I don't see you on the first three pages in Google, you don't." Mm-hmm. You don't, ex- I, you know, I, I can't look that much for all you guys. So they said, all right, we want to give your book to every prospective client and we'll buy books. And so come down here. So I came down there to Austin, Texas, 
And at the end of it, they said, okay, what will it take for us to publish your book? I said, publish, you know, publish it like how? They said, well, we'll do the printing, we'll do the editing, we'll do the marketing. We'll, you can keep all the money. The only thing we care about is our imprint on the back of that book. So I said, okay, you know, that's 25 grand probably worth of service. So I said, that's fine. You know, we can do that. So then the next, the second edition of the book comes out, which is in print, which has a horrible cover. I don't, you've probably never seen it. It has like a magnifying glass looking out like a dictionary. And, but it was a book that, that book took off, you know, to a, you know, something different between a physical book and, you know, a PDF. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. And that book took off. And I started getting speaking gigs about self-publishing. And, you know, I, the, the same thing, I think, happened to you. So you know that, you know, one day you're just a guy and the next day. Suddenly everybody wants to guy to you. Everyone. Yeah. And then in about 2006, you know, I was I just finished one of the editions of the book and I was out rollerblading. And I, you know, and I've talked about this moment a lot and I just. It sort of just hit me, and you know, you saw the author center at Hillcrest, and yeah, what that was that that wasn't. I thought of the nugget of what that became. You know, I had like the very basics of that idea. I get back, I call my then developer, I say, hey, do you think we could do this, 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 and this? That was in May of 2006. By October 2006, we had the first Mill City site up, and. Uh, the only thing that worked was that you could pay. I mean, everything else we had to do manually. We didn't have any back end or, you know, it was, and we, I had trouble finding people that could even build something at, at that level of complexity. Mm -hmm. and, six, and, you know, people read my book and if I talked to them, I said, Hey, you know, I started this thing and how would you like to be one of my first clients? And I'll give you a great break on the price. And the pricing was kind of, you know, I didn't really know how to price the stuff because we'd only done one book where I had my in-house, I had a couple of people in-house working in my other company who were interested in, um, well, not even uh, Quark. I don't even think people hardly use it today. But that was like the formatting, you know. And that was the formatting thing, and they were interested in cover design. So I said, "Hey, I have right, because InDesign is is more of the right. the, the 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 premium, you know, for right. for publishers of any kind now on on self published authors." So you know, we do this thing, and I kind of like, how long did it take you to do the cover? How long did it take you to do the interior? And it was based, you know, it was based on, on stuff that you can't really base pricing on in any kind of real world situation, but. It was sort of like, well, you know, if I if we do one incorporation, I can charge three times what I do for one incorporation, and it'll eat, you know, one book publish equals three incorporations, and so I that's how I looked at it at the beginning, and so you know, I I can tell you that if you publish with us in 2006, you got a, a deal of a lifetime, and and that very much takes us on into the whole Hillcrest Media organization and and all its its arms and bodies and companies from bookprinting.com and you know so talk to us a little bit about how the company kind of from post 2006 started expanding so you know we started just we started just as mill city press and i didn't i couldn't envision 
anything, you know, I, I couldn't envision what it turned into. It was, you know, we, I went to Ikea, I bought one of those. I mean, I've seen everyone in the world has these things, those little cubbies, and there's about eight or 12 little, little cubbies. And I thought, well, you know, we'll never fill this thing up. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, no, you know, how long are we ever going to take forever to get 12 authors? So we went from one, then we got two, then we had three, then we had to get a room in our building. And, you know, a lot of this was timing because self-publishing itself was exploding at that time, was starting to explode. And the thing I thought that gave me the greatest advantage was out that everyone used Lightning Source. And I realized that I could easily figure out what everyone was paying for Lightning Source. So it was easy to show how much they were marking up the printing. So I decided we will just not mark up that printing because right now we don't have, we don't have that markup to rely on. These other companies, they need that markup to survive. So I'm going to try to, that's going to be my end. That's going to be my one differential. That, that very much was the critical thing for, I suppose, you know, we can talk a little bit about, uh, about how self-publishing is, developed since the 1940s, 1950s, you know, from vanity publishing into the whole, <coughs> excuse me, uh, explosion of uh, POD, print on demand, uh, around about 98, 99. And, you know, yeah, suddenly there are so many, many kind of revolutions in self-publishing. Uh, I, I suppose to, to, to start with, uh, around 98, 99, we had the whole print-on-demand. Uh, there was very much the uh, Amazon dimension um, of it, and then the whole ebook explosion. And to a certain extent, we're seeing, to a degree now, a development of new companies coming on and I'm seeing uh, draft the digital now link up with a uh, fine way uh, to develop into the audiobook area which seems to be another burgeoning area of, of, of self-publishing but sorry go on about the development of, of Hillcrest media so you know so we started where we didn't mark up printing that was a huge difference maker I mean that was enormous and the other thing we didn't I decided not to do is that we would not take any royalties which at the time, nobody did that. Today, that is a pretty common practice. I mean, some people play with the numbers to say that they're not and they're building it in, but you know, what we just did not. And the idea was, if you're going to spend all this money to self-publish and you're taking all the risk, why should you not make all the all the reward? Okay. Which is a critical and, point now for, for self-published authors. But, you know, again, think back then, you know, every company was taking something, we just were not, and it allowed us to grow. In in two thousand, in our first full year in operation was two thousand seven. We did four hundred thousand dollars in revenue. In two thousand eight, we did a million. Two thousand nine, two million. You know, and then it just kept going up, up, you know, up until we ended. Our revenue at the end was a little. Old. Over five million. You know, it, as it as it grew, you know, the company I had to grow it very quickly, and you know, you just there weren't a lot of people 
you couldn't just find people who knew a lot about book publishing mm-hmm. that could, um, you know, fill these roles. And so I had, I just went out and I was just like, I'm going to hire the best people I can find. And I don't really care. We'll, I'll, we'll figure out how to teach them about this. And, you know, myself, I didn't know that much about it at the time. I knew what I knew from the fine print, but I didn't know how you set up a process, how you do anything else. And, you know, I just got lucky and then I hired some smart people and we kind of figured it out. And, you know, Mill City grew and, you know, in uh, 2008, I brought in Mark Trainer, who you know, and who he mm-hmm. was the guy who really developed our back end. And uh, at that time, I had a friend from college who was kind of uh, down and out and was just like, I need a job and, you know, just will you please help me? And I said, well, I don't really have a job. He said, mm-hmm. I, will come, I will come and do anything. So I said, okay, I'm going to start this thing called Book Printing Revolution. And I'm going to make it like Costco, where you pay a membership fee, and then you just get your book printing at cost, at printer cost. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was kind of a good idea, but it didn't work. I mean, people didn't know what the cost was. You know, they didn't have any idea what They the didn't cost. have the perception of what they right. were getting out of it. So that concept, part of it didn't work. But then he just started, we just became a print broker, this little bookprintingrevolution.com site. And, you know, we had... We had hooked up with a very large printer in town that was the largest printer of legal books in the world. Well, that business is going away, but they have football-sized fields of printing. So they saw us as a huge growth opportunity, and we saw them as the same. And so they gave us unbelievable print pricing, and it allowed that division of our company to get you know, into the you know, in the end, you know, when the company was sold, maybe that was doing a million and a half dollars a year in printing. So then, then there was that division. Then, you know, in 2009, when the eBooks were starting to come around, you know, it was starting to be a thing. People were asking about them. You know, I, I don't think there was a huge readership, you know, the, the common person still, the, the, the reader was too expensive to buy at the time for most people. You know, it's now, you know, obviously you can read it on your phone or, mm-hmm. you know, you can Kindle for $79, but at the time it was an expensive thing. But people were, you know, they were wanting, they were authors were wanting it and there weren't a lot of places to get it. And it was one of the times where we, I just, I just had a feeling like we needed to develop something for ebook and we and I my thought was we're going to get a lot of books from people who've published with other places so we have to find something that we can convert PDFs into these ebooks forget just starting with a word document to publish to to Kindle uh, uh, Moby yeah right so again uh, we hired this other developer and they came up with uh, what was the back end of our published green website and you know there was a time in i'd say 2010 where our technology 2010 2011 our ebook technology was beyond what most places had uh you know now it quickly got surpassed because Mm -hmm. it's one of these things where were we going to spend all of our resources to you know you have to when you're a small company you have to pick which battle you're going to fight and which giant you're going to fight 
Mm-hmm. So am I going to, you know, am I going to go against Create Space? Am I going to go against Book Baby? Am I going to go against, you know, this other person? Am I going to go against Ingram? I have to pick, you know, where do you, where, you know, who do where I want? Where the resources go. And, you know, so we let, and I, I think it was okay because the ebook as an, as an ebook only, I think for authors had a shorter it had a shorter lifespan. I think now an ebook is really seen as a, you know, you need an ebook with your print book to sort of be official. Mm-hmm. But you, and we certainly saw less ebook only people as time went on. And it became so commoditized that there was no money in it. I mean, you know, you could just, it's hard to explain to someone, okay, we're going to hand format your ebook and make it look as close to the original print book as possible when the person doesn't even understand, you know, that they don't have an understanding of why that's worth X hundreds of dollars compared to, I can just send it here and they make it, they, you know, put it on a screen. And of course with in the author sales, you, you've got, you know, authors maybe in the first, you know, month, two months, three months, <coughs> excuse me. Um, literally using it as a promotional device rather than a, a dedicated uh, format you know and you know you, you, we're talking about ebooks for less than you know three dollars um now i mean but back then i mean i i saw that there were people who were like you know i can't afford mm-hmm. to pay fifteen hundred dollars or thousand dollars to publish but i'm gonna spend four hundred and i'm gonna do an ebook and i'm gonna mm-hmm. hope it you know, I think there were a lot of people like that. Um, and I think people thought this ebook thing is really going to take over the world. And, you know, it's one of the interesting cases where technology really did not win out. You know, the printed book is is still a favorite among most people. And it's, you know, book printing has certainly made a comeback and... Uh, you know, ebooks kind of hit that plateau, and they've stayed there. And I, I kind of file, but to an extent, I agree with you. In that, um, ebooks kind of orientated and developed and became the new blogging. In in yeah. some way, in t- t- to some degrees, it was easily accessible very low expense you, you know you basically you had a blog so you get for free you had your website you hosted it on um you brought in your 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 viewership uh it was very very low cost uh if you made mistakes you had typos people forgave you because they they, they kind of understood that the level was not like what print books were i think there was a degree of understanding it's intriguing to know where um, ebooks will go. I don't know whether you have any thoughts on, on that because certainly, I, I, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, uh, ebooks are gone. It's it's all over." You know, print is back. You know, that's not quite oh, the case, I, but it's it's a case I, of the, the 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 growth level of of ebooks has certainly slowed uh, somewhat. Oh, I don't think it's. I I think it's just. I think it's hit a plateau that I think it's going to remain in that box. You know, there's people, you know, it's sort of like, you know, 
the feel of holding a book and the feel of reading a book mm-hmm. on a tablet is yeah. not the same experience. So it's different than like, you know, listening to streaming music and listening to a CD. It's almost that's almost the same experience. So when you have a different experience, you know, there is going to be people who like to hold a book and that that's that's always going to be their method. And then there's going to be people who like don't care. They just want to read the book and they want to read it in a way that is the most convenient and easy for them. And like for me, if I read a book and I'm at home, I'm reading a a, a, re- a paperback or a hardcover. Mm-hmm. If I'm traveling, like the time when I saw you in Amsterdam and I'm traveling, yeah. I'm reading on a tablet. I'm not hauling books it's all over the convenience. world. Right. And so I think there's always a place for that. I think people who are, you know, some of the people who are voracious readers, once they start downloading books, they're going to keep doing that because there's just, you know, unless you are in love with an author and you need to have the hardcover book or, you know, you, you need that attachment. I don't know what is happening <laughs> with the lights. The Russians are back. Hang on. <laughs> Um, my but, guess but is just think, on, yeah. on your on your point, isn't it intriguing as well? I suppose as we look at the development and, and move through this interview. Um, that who would have thought that the gorilla in the room, the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room, would start to examine and look at going head to head with bookstores, Amazon, starting oh, I- to you know, examine this area. Hey, you know, it, I, I find it intriguing with the whole development of e-books and, and, and in light of what we were just talking about, that here we go, the Amazon, the online seller, now is examining that area and starting to build some momentum in that area. I, I had said that for years. I, I just thought, like, that made the most sentence i mean all these bookstores i really thought when borders went out of business mm-hmm. i was like you know here's a place that's going out you could buy the thing for nothing and amazon you know they would have this they would already be there they already have the footprint is set up you know it's a no-brainer um and it seems like they're going to end up doing you know i i, I think we, we will all see how the Whole Foods Amazon thing works, uh, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think Amazon, it's their world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think in the way that I can understand it best is in the way that I see what it did to my own business and what it has done to many, you know, I'd say CreateSpace is a great example. You know, when they bought, it was, you know, it was originally Book Surge. And when Amazon bought Book Surge and turned it into CreateSpace, you know, it was sort of just fumbled around for, you know, I'd say three, four years <clears throat> where it was, it was sort of like an afterthought. And it's, you know, still may not be, I'm sure it's not their most important business unit, but they have certainly, I think, done things to the industry that, you know, they really made, they've really made it hard for book public, for self-publishing companies to explain to authors 
why they needed us. Because now, as CreateSpace makes it easier and easier, and you can you know upload a Word document, and you're going to get something back that looks like a book, sort of, it's hard to educate someone who doesn't have any idea about mm-hmm. book formatting and explain to them why having a professional book formatter matters and how a buyer at a bookstore, when they see it, you know, there's going to be things that will scream self-published when you do it some of these other ways. And have a good editor. And, you know, those things are, you know, as the bar gets lower, and, you know, I don't blame Amazon for that. That's, you know, it's not in there. They don't care, and nor maybe they should they, about the quality. You know, they know that it's just a mass marketplace. So I sort of, and I've always felt like their idea was, well, whatever, we can get you to be a create space author and you get 10 of your friends to buy a book. We're not going to, we're going to make no money off you, but Mm -hmm. you know, maybe out of those 10 people, some of them are going to join Amazon prime. Some of them are going to start ordering toilet paper. Some of them are, you know, we're going to get customers that we didn't have to do anything to try to get. And all of a sudden your, you know, your little self published book that sold 50 copies has paid us back in all sorts of other ways. Now that's, you know, beyond, speculation on my part but you know they've done a you know create space has really moved the bar down i mean the cost bar in doing mm-hmm. this and i think you know and i've thought a lot about this over the last couple years that i mean led up to the sale of my company because it was getting you know that they were really making it harder for just providing good service wasn't even enough. We had to innovate and we had to keep innovating over and over and all the time. And it was a non, you know, the process never ended because they just, as they made it easier and cheaper, you had to do something to give yourself value to make somebody want to, pay the money for the service. So it always required innovation to provide, you know, a better suite of services with, with the product. And, you know, I think certainly our customers benefited from that. I mean, our prices, you know, we were not a lot, we were not able to really raise prices very much over the last four or five years of the company because they were being driven down so far. Uh, I know we're getting a little off topic here, but no. Well, I mean, well, let's move on. Ultimately, you you sold Hillcrest I Media sold, yeah. to, to uh, uh, Salem Media uh, Communications. Was that an easy decision? Was that as uh, no regrets? Was that just something in your life that you felt I've reached a point and now I want to do something different? I want to explore something different. You know, it was a combination of all of those. Um, You know, I was at the time 49. Um, It, you know, running a business like that, you know, this is a Hillcrest, it was all my own money. It was, you know, there were people there who made more than I made because I wanted to have the best talent. And, you know, I just, me paying myself was not going to get the best talent. So, you know, there were people there who made more than me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who were amazing employees. Um, 
and it was just getting harder and harder to deliver the product at the level that I would want to deliver it and still be profitable. And I didn't want to have to make a choice to, you know, cut levels of service or outsource work. You know, we did everything in house. I, I didn't, and, and, you know, we had tried over the years to try to outsource parts of it and try to manage it. And it just doesn't, it just didn't work. You know, the, the product of the book really worked because of the synergies of having all of it in house and the people working together and understanding the author and knowing where the book was in the process. And, you know, we, and we had to keep innovating. Um, you know, the ebook thing came in, then it went out, you know, then as you know, we were working on this publish.com concept, which I, I, I think was, you know, I think it would have been a, a it was in the right, it was the right direction of where I think self-publishing is going. And, you know, sometimes I would sit in these meetings as we talk about it and I would just think like, you know, how am I going to, you know, if I don't go out and raise money, there's no way I'm going to be able to, you know, I have to compete against giants. Mm -hmm. uh, how am I going to compete against giants? And, you know, I'd known the guys from Salem, you know, I'd known their self-publishing division for a while and, um, they had, we actually, I never talked to them about any of this, you know, ever, except they tried, they, well, they ended up, but it all started over. They bought a domain name of mine on uh, 2013. Uh, I own Christian self publishing.com and, you know, it's a pretty good name if you're in Christian self publishing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, you know, that's how I started talking mm -hmm. to them. Uh, and, you know, we, we got pretty far down the road in 2014 and you know it kind of fell apart over some structural issues where you know I, I just felt like if I was gonna sell I ne it needed to be totally clean and I didn't want to you know I didn't want to get paid out over a period of time mm -hmm. uh, like if I'm gonna do it I'm gonna be out I don't want to be half in and half out and have to worry about it so and you know at the time you know, Hillcrest was going good and I, we were working on cool things and, and, you know, I, in some way I probably wasn't ready to sell, so it was okay. And, you know, then in, in 2016, when the opportunity came up again, it was, you know, I had some regrets kind of passing on up the, the other time. And I had, and as you know, I, I've been buying and selling domain names for years and I, you know, I make, you know, decent money doing it. And it's not, you don't have 30 employees and thousands of clients. And, you know, I mean, it's, a, yeah. it's a different thing. So I, so uh, ultimately you sold Hillcrest. Media. Well, ultimately I sold it. It was a hard, you know, it's a hard decision. It was harder, uh, you know, mainly because I really loved the people that I worked with and it was a pleasure to, work with such smart, bright people who really cared about what they were doing and who really had ownership in what we were doing. And it was just one of those kind of, and I, and I knew that, you know, these people were so talented that I was going to start losing them because the economy was getting better here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were going to be able to find much higher paying jobs. And, you know, we just had, you know, there's those moments in time where you have a magical team, 
and everything is hitting on all cylinders. And we were there. But, you know, take one or two pieces out of that equation and that could change. And, you know, when the opportunity came up, I was just sort of ready to do something else. You know, I, I'm a guy who worked all the time, weekends. It was all the same to me. You know, if I was home, I was doing the live support at night, if, you know, because, of, you know, we didn't have anyone on doing that. Like, you know, I was working yeah. all the time and it was, you know, it was just a non-turndownable thing. Tell us, I mean, I, tell us about the next step in your business entrepreneurial adventure. Tell us, tell us now about uh, DomainTheory.com because this wasn't something that just suddenly fell into your lap. This was something no. you'd, you'd long been exploring. So I've been buying domain names really since the early 2000s, and now I don't know. I don't. I didn't know then what I know now about buying names, or I'd be a pretty wealthy guy, but. You know, I was buying names for my businesses at the time and collect, you know, and I would find good names and I would build it. I, for Click Industries, I think we had about 400 names and, you know, I, I learned about selling them and I put some up for sale and, you know, you're buying them for $10 and you're selling them for a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand, five thousand, you know, that can get, you know, that can get, you can get pretty into it pretty quickly. And, you know, I would bought some great names. I bought publish.com. I mean, that was back in the click industries days. Mm -hmm. I bought that just because it was great and it was a website. And, um, so I, I loved, I loved doing it. It was really creative. I mean, I love doing it. It's really creative. You know, you're, it's all, it's kind of like pop culture meets news meets trends and it, it's fun. It's exciting. It's kind of like the stock market. It's kind of like gambling. It's all these things together. And, you know, you can do it from anywhere in the world. All I need is a computer. And I started really getting into it uh, when I owned Hillcrest. And we owned, you know, at the time last August, I have my, I've, I, my portfolio has gotten smaller and I'm trying to, any name that is not spectacular, I'm kind of letting go. But we probably had about 1,200 names that were just publishing-related names. You know, I had most. I owned Fiction.com. I had most of all the fiction genres. I had a lot of e-publishing ones. And, um, you know, it was just something I always loved doing and that I'm really passionate about. And I, you know... I'd say from 2014 when I turned down or when it didn't work out with Salem till 2016, my level of the my my love of domain of domaining grew substantially to a point where I felt like I can see what I'm I'm going to do. You know, in 2014, I didn't know what I would do if I didn't have Hillcrest to go to every day. Because there, there, there's a with domain buying and I suppose analyzing what's the best thing to buy there's a real strategy there's a certain it covers such a wide knowledge whether it's technology politics and indeed I suppose I'd, I'd almost say and you can correct me if I'm wrong but I'd almost say trends and pop culture are the most important things to understand you know I suppose branding as well you know when you assess yeah. a, a domain as to is am I going to make money on this um, if, if I purchase it, you know, whether I hold it for a while and sell it on? 
it's, you know, that's the thing about domain investing is that, and I watch a lot of, uh, I read a lot of blogs, I watch a lot of podcasts, I've been on some of these podcasts, and what's interesting about it is I can sit down and tell you, this is how I do it, this is how I analyze it, these are the tools that I use, and you will go and use those same tools, and it will be something totally... You, know, you and I will find totally yeah. different names using the same tools, and that's, you know, that's what's in, that's what's interesting. You know, I I certainly started buying, you know, in a niche that was publishing names, and I'd say there's, you know, few people probably better at me than than being able to find great publishing names, and that was certainly, you know, my niche for a while. But those names led to getting names that were just brandable in and of themselves because. I was always searching for names that had book or story yeah. or, you know, and those are great brandable names. You know, you take, um, you know, a name I just sold a few months ago that was one of the best, one of my favorites that I ever owned was uh, storycoach.com. You know, that's just so many uses for a writing coach or a screenwriter. Tutorials, coach. education. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, those kind of names and I brought me into the more brandable space. And, you know, now I, I've, I own names in all, many disciplines. Um, and I probably buy less publishing real. I mean, I buy very few publishing related names today. I mean, one, um, Salem now owns most of my good names and they're not selling them. <laughs> they're not selling them anytime. They're sitting um, on them. No, I mean, you know, they're not dropping them. I, I mean, I've set up alerts to see if they ever drop them because I'd sure like to get some back, but I don't think that's, that's not, that's not they're, you know, they're not dumb. Um, and, you know, I, I, it's just a thing that I, I love doing. I find it interesting. I find it fun. I like the people in the industry are really forward thinking. It's, you know, there's a very entrepreneurial spirit that you just don't see in a lot of, in a lot of, in, this is an industry where everyone's an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. you know, every single person, whether you're a vendor selling products, whether you're GoDaddy, you know, it's a different, it's a, it's a totally different world in that, like a company like GoDaddy, they, you know, they want to work with domainers. Mm -hmm. They want, you know, their GoDaddy just bought a, a, a domain portfolio from a guy for $35 million dollars. But then, you know, they know that there's exit value and they're selling them. And, you know, they're, you know, they're a case where a big company, you know, does it, they do a pretty good job of reaching out and working with guys like me. And, you know, when a guy I call in, I have maybe, you know, 12, 1300 names. It's, it's different than me as Hillcrest publishing a lot of books calling uh, Ingram. You know, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it's just a different mindset. You know, it's and so the domain community itself is is different than than publishing, and you know it's 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 a it's a 15 year old industry, so that in and of itself is different. There's you don't have years of tradition, and here's how it was done, and here's how it's supposed to be done. So it, it allows for a lot of creativity, and um, you know it's something that, and I, I probably will end up doing something else at some point uh where, I just, where, where, so 
I suppose that takes us on to the next step then. What are your future developments? What What do you want to do with, with DomainTheory.com? Um, well, obviously, you provide consulting services as well for, for you know, people uh, uh, getting into this area and uh, advice for them. Wh where's your next development? Where's your next steps? Where do you want to take this? Well, you know, one thing I learned from you is that it's too much work to do a blog. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> because because you're thought, terrified of what it might become. <laughs> no, no, I thought, you know, I'm going to start writing a blog on domain theory. And, you know, a lot of guys in the industry who I really respect a lot do that. And, you know, they got a lot of good opportunities come from doing that. Um, and I may do that, but it took me, it's taken me really most of mm -hmm. this year to decompress from the whole Hillcrest thing just from the from the change in life and from the you know it just it took a lot of unwinding so now i'm i've done some consulting for companies that want to acquire names and you know i like that a lot you know um and you know i don't really know i've had some ideas for some domain related software that I've talked about to, you know, Mark Trainer and I have talked about it. And, um, but, you know, it's a whole nother, starting a whole nother business again. And I'm, I don't know if my head is there right now. Really? And, and I'm enjoying, you know, I'm really enjoying not doing very much. And I, I, I didn't think that I would. I thought I would be very um, antsy, but. I've filled my time up, you know. You're, I, you're, you're not on that um, that yacht that uh, Donald Trump spoke about yesterday at the uh, Boy Scouts uh, meeting where he, talk, where he gave his anecdote about uh, uh, this guy then spent 10 years on a yacht, you know, and then he came out and he didn't have the motivation. <laughs> well, you know, fortunately, I did not hear that speech because I was out... <laughs> I was out at um at, you know, what did I do yesterday? I well I was out at some oh, I had a friend over to see I was just moving to a new place and I had a friend over to see the new place and then I went out to dinner and so I got some texts, people were saying, Oh, did you see what he was doing? And I didn't I didn't, but no, I'm not the guy on the yacht. I'm uh I'm just a, I'm just a guy that, you know, kinda got lucky here along the way and I'm I I look at, you know, I sort of feel like I am in a position that every single person who's ever started a business or goes to work hopes to one day be in. Mm -hmm. And that it is, I should enjoy the gift that I just got from the universe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate and it's worked out well and I'm taking, I'm just really taking time to smell the roses, which I have never done. And, um, you know, I'm doing some traveling and, you know, I still do this domain stuff a lot. Um, but just, you know, being committed to writing a blog, as you know, that's a, yeah, it's a, it's a big undertaking. You got to start doing it. And, you know, and I've done a lot of writing over the years, you know, <laughs> six editions of that book. I, I'm not eager to write a book anytime soon. And you, you've even squeezed in a novel or two, I think. I've squeezed in a couple novels, you know, I, well, I guess I was, and I have been talking to this guy who's in the domain industry who wrote a book about domaining and mm -hmm. wants to do a new edition. 
Um, he is he is owns a company that Mark Cuban is one of the investors in. So you know he wants me to co-write the new edition with him. But you know again that's a lot of you know again he wrote a book that was like my fine print PDF. You know it's so for me if I'm going to do a book it has to be like the fine print of self publishing just not mains and you know that's a lot of work and you know I I think. That will probably end up doing it. It's just, you know, I, I don't think it's anything I'll probably, I think it'll be another six months before I'm really on into something else. But I, you know, I'll probably want to start something else. You know, I, some of the Hillcrest people that I'm pretty close to, we meet and talk and have ideas. And, you know, we're, you know, I think in some way, if we could all work together again, the core of us, I think we'd we'd all do that. You know, there's some sentimental, you know, boy, that would that be great if we like got the band back together. Yeah. But you know, every day that goes on from Hillcrest, everybody's going in different directions. And, you know, uh, some of the Hillcrest people, three of the people work at our, the company that was our distributor. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's interesting. Um, you know, it's 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 been an amazing transition for me, and I've loved every minute of it. I can't believe it's been a year. I mean, it's almost been a year since the sale, and it's gone by really quickly. And um, I feel really busy, even though I most days I can't really tell you what I did. <laughs> it, just, I, it seems like all the errands I ran on the weekend, I now just run during non-rush hour traffic. Well, well, hell, you know, you seem to be spending uh, uh, more time uh, down in uh, Florida than Donald Trump is. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I guess as as we move to a conclusion, I suppose, yeah, yeah look, let's uh, let's talk just briefly a, a, a short while about uh, about where the United States is uh, media. Donald Trump and I suppose so many people asking the question how the hell did we get here well I mean it's a question that you know I, I am I am shocked really as I think a lot of people are I, I think there was an there was an amount of racism and hatred mm -hmm. that was held back because people thought they could not Un, you know, they thought they'd be judged by re releasing it, and then along came someone who said, "You can release it. You can do it. You are." Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's it's a problem, and uh, you know, it's certainly a problem when the checks and balances that our constitutional government have are purposely not working. Um, you know, when you have a, a Congress that is <laughs> You know, all you have to do is insert any of these things that Trump has done with Obama and then wonder what Congress would have done. You know, there would be, I mean, you know, you know, they had hearings about, you know, there was everything all the time. You know, there was no end to it and it was all, you know, nothing. Uh, and, and here, I think, you know, it's a, it's a weird time to be in the United States. I, I don't. I certainly don't feel proud of anything that this country has done in the last six months. 
In fact, like I'm, I'm embarrassed. I, um, you know, people I know who are gay or, uh, you know, black or Arab, Muslim. Um, I mean, I'm Jewish. I think it's a, I, I would not wear a Jewish cross, a Jewish star, uh, walking around in a lot of parts in this country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not something I would have said 10 years ago. And, you know, those are, those are our problems. And the Democrats have their own problems in that, you know, they're, they, you know, the message just can't be, we're not Donald Trump. You know, it has to be, here's what we're going to do. And they have not been very good at articulating it. And, you know, they have not been very good about getting new people in there, new fresh faces. Now, you know, there, there are some interesting people running for Congress. Um, and, you know, 2018 is going to be a very pivotal election for this country. because The, the, the midterms are the midterms. absolutely critical. And, you know, Democrats are notoriously terrible in voting in midterms, which is how we got to this point. Are you worried about the the position that the Democratic Party are in in the United States ahead? Because let's face it, it's not that far away. You know, we're, we're no. six, and, six to nine months out. And really, you know, um, one of the criticisms will be, and I've heard so many commentators, good commentators, bad commentators, biased commentators, but so many of them say the same thing. You know, uh, they may be loving the idea that uh, perhaps the Democrats during the the, 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 the uh, election itself, the 2016 election, had the eye off the ball, assumed too much, thought this is a winner, we've almost got the ball in the net, uh, or the ball in the basket, and I've heard so many people say, what are they doing? I'm hearing and I'm seeing the same game being played out again. They're, they're doing it again. Uh, I'll talk while you think that. Oh, no, maybe, the, uh, maybe the Democrats are listening. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, the Democrats, Democrats are off to us now. now. Um, um, yeah, uh, that, that, are we seeing yes. the same mistake being made again? That, that again, I, right off the ball, that it's all, let's focus on Donald Trump. And suddenly... They wake up with a month ago, uh, come next, whenever, May, June, and suddenly they realize, oh, we haven't done our homework, we haven't done our, and we are back where we were in 2016 with, like, well, we all thought the cons- uh, the conservative and the GOP were going to get a thumping in 2018, and, oh, whoops, that didn't quite happen. We didn't quite figure this one out. Well, I think they, I mean, they have problems. I mean, the Democratic National Committee, you know, the people who, you know, because I had a lot of free time, I watched mm-hmm. this whole process of the people running to be chairman of the Democratic Party. And there were some candidates that would have been great. Mm-hmm. That would have, there was a, there's a mayor in um, a town in Indiana. Um, well, I don't remember the name of the town, but he's the mayor of this town. Uh, it's where Notre, it's, oh, he's a mayor of South Bend where Notre Dame is. And, you know, he's one in a very Republican city and a Republican congressional district. And he's a young guy. He's got fresh ideas. He's sort of someone who can appeal to many different constituencies. And like, I thought that guy should have gotten it. Mm -hmm. 
But, you know, the establishment, it was sort of the establishment and then the left wing combined to put together, you know, like a team of people who are just not, they're just not, it's not inspiring. You know, the Democrats are missing, they don't have a superstar. And the only superstar they have really is Joe Biden. And it's interesting, I'm going to see Biden, he's coming here in December, and he is doing a tour like a concert. He's going to like 30-some cities, sold out everywhere, you know, to give a speech. And, I mean, I wanted Biden to run the last time. I thought he would have won. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he is getting older. And I saw, you know, if, and again, I don't have any reason to believe this, but this would be my hope is that if Biden has the physical abilities that he could come in and just run, I think he would get the Democratic nomination. We would save a fight. And he could say, look, if I win, you know, this is I'm going to be a one term guy and we're going to get this thing back. We're going to get every the country back on course. And then you guys can all come to your senses and decide what to do after. That. Now, is, that, is, it might be wishful thinking. On my it is part of maybe the issue that we had the candidacy for the Republican nominee what was it, 17 candidates? It was like the, it was like a carnival uh, one stage with, with so many candidates. Is it perhaps that the problem was that ultimately we only really had three core candidates uh, ultimately, and was that maybe a mistake that the Democratic Party didn't broaden it, that there was too much of a an inbuilt Hillary bus about it, that, you know, she, oh, we're railroading I- her in and I think that there, you know, you could certainly make that argument, and that's probably a viable argument. I don't even think we had three. We had, I mean, well, Sanders, yeah. I, when he started, the Democratic National Committee just thought, whatever, this is, you know, old, crazy Bernie Sanders, so whatever, you know, we don't care. And the other guy who was the uh, governor of Maryland, oh, Mike uh, my, yeah. O'Malley, Mike O'Malley I mean, yeah. was stiff, he was... I think he saw, like, maybe he could have been the alternative to Hillary Clinton, except he was so uninspiring and so awkward that it, you know, fizzled out immediately. And, you know, I don't think Hillary, I mean, I think Hillary would have been a great president. That's the, I want someone, you know, you know who I want to be president? Someone who knows what to do with the, with the most important job in the world. Yeah. It's not, you know, I think we're seeing what happens when, well, you, I mean, you're, bring in somebody who has is clueless well, about politics but it's not only that i mean you know he's made bedfellows with people that you know i mean the fact that we are in a situation where today the republican senate is voting on a health care bill that none of them have even seen, seen yeah. and you know it, it it boggles my mind that any because this is not the Republican Party of my growing of my youth. Mm-hmm. It's not even the Republican Party of ten years ago. I mean, this is just being mean and spiteful to. I mean, just to take away health insurance from people because Obama proposed the exact thing that you actually wanted yourself before mm-hmm. he wanted it is an insane. It's an insane thing to me. Why that? Why people would do that? Why, you know, why would you 
you know, why would you, you know, why would you want to be the only country, major country in the world again, you know, against a climate change agreement? I mean, what, like, what is, it makes no sense. And, um, you know, to put people in charge of departments who the only thing that they have to do with those departments are they are people who have publicly said how much they think those departments are worthless and should go away. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that is, you know, that's never been done. And you could think of, you know, people can say whatever about uh, George W. Bush, but, you know, the guy was like a decent human being. And the people who he surrounded himself with were decent, serious people. You know, regardless of what, you know, regardless of anything else, they they were that. And, you know, I don't know what it's going to take for people in this country to wake up. I, I, I really, I do not, you know. It's, it's certainly maybe, exasperating. Maybe, you know, when you lose your health insurance, you know, maybe you are going to realize who did that to you. <laughs> when you lose, uh, you know, when you keep losing things, you may eventually realize, and, you know, I guess if you keep watching Fox News, you're never going to think that. But there are encouraging things, you know, like MSNBC here, which was always kind of a third-rate, third-rated uh, cable network, is now the number one news cable network in the country. How do you feel that the media in America are dealing with it, the networks are? I think, I mean, I, I you have to give a lot of credit to the New York Times and the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. They are, and to some extent, I'd say the Wall Street Journal, because they are investigative journalists. They are keeping the fires lit, and they are, you know, they are, they have done a pretty good job of showing what exactly is going on here. And, you know, it is not fake news, all this other nonsense. You know, it is the journalists and who've been under, you know, extreme pressure. And, you know, when you have a guy in the White House who is advocating violence against journalism, journalists, that's, da- I mean, that is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think they are, you know, they are doing an amazing job. And it's, you know, it, it's disheartening to see, um, you know, that people will just believe whatever they see in their Facebook feed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I have friends that post liberal fake news. It's, you know, it's not. Yeah, sure. It's on both sides. It's on both sides. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a troubling time in this country, I, I'd say. Um, and I think people who want to pretend that it's not. Okay, apologies there. That ended uh, rather abruptly. We uh, lost uh, Mark's uh, Skype line. We were just about to finish up. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the interview today. Uh, Join us again on Radio Aspoil for future broadcasts.
thank you once again for joining us for this episode. Again, check out the links down below uh, to Mark's Domain Theory uh, website. Um, I'll see you again soon. have been listening to Radio Aspile, a series of podcasts brought to you across the internet by TIPM Media and presented by investigative journalist Mick Rooney. Please feel free to leave a comment and visit our links provided in this podcast production. Thank you for your support.